While I was in seminary, I had a job working for the school itself. My job title was Refectorian, which sounds like really important, right? <laughs> sounds, sounds like an important gig to have. Uh, Refectorian was basically, at this school at least, a fancy word uh, for the guy that does the dishes. <laughs> I was like one of the lead dishwashers uh, back in the kitchen with the kitchen crew. So I would go several days a week and scrub gunk off of plates. That was my gig uh, <laughs> for Jesus and for seminary, right? For the school. It was more for the school than it was for Jesus, to be honest with you. But anyways, um, free labor. Yes. Anyhow, one day while I was scrubbing uh, something, probably taco meat, off of plates after lunch, the guy who was serving on the rota with me, I was doing the washing, he was doing the drying and the putting away, he turned around kind of during a lull point and asked me, he said, TJ, what would happen if you got to the end of this whole process? And the bishop said, no. No to ordination, no to the priesthood, just no. So to kind of reframe the question to make it relevant so you guys can understand kind of the, the, the weight of his question, what would happen if after three years of grad school, three years of acquiring more student debt, after three years of having, well, after an experience of having uprooted your entire life, sold a house, <laughs> moved six hours away from the closest family members, moved into a place where you don't know anybody, after three years of jumping through hoops for the diocese, for the bishop, for the church, for the institution, what would you do if the answer was no? That the church doesn't deem you as being worthy or um, up to par when it comes to the priesthood. I remember the question so vividly. It's about halfway through my time in seminary. So like a year, a year and a half into the three years of schooling. I remember it so vividly because it was like a huge moment for me. A surprising moment for me. Normally, I would have answered, well, that would really suck. And that's editing it very politely. <laughs> it, would, it would really suck if the answer was no. After so much sacrifice on my own part, so much hard work on my own part and my family's part, right? Because they sacrificed an awful lot just to get me through school. But that wasn't my answer. And it wasn't as though I hadn't thought about this question before. like what, The what if question, right? What if plans don't work out the way that I wanted them to? It's not that I haven't, hadn't thought through it at that point. It's that it was the first time somebody had act, asked me so directly what I would do and how I would feel. And this particular individual, he had good reason for asking it. He's somebody who had, you know, he'd been denied by at least two dioceses at that point. I think he's a person who's been denied by like four. Uh, and he just kept going, trying to find a new place to plug in and to go through the process. But... I realized in the moment that if the bishop said no, that if it wasn't going to work out, if priesthood just wasn't in the cards for me, that it would be okay. And then honestly, it would be kind of a relief <laughs> to live like a quote unquote normal person, uh, not somebody wearing the collar, not a priest, not a clergy person, not a, a symbol of the Christian institution. And it wasn't that I doubted 
this calling that God had placed on my life. If I didn't believe in it so strongly, I never would have uprooted everything. And my family wouldn't have believed in it enough to uproot everything to come in on this crazy journey with me. It's not that I doubted. And it's not that I didn't want to become a priest. I felt genuinely called. It just it seemed I was wired to be a priest. It just made the most sense to me. But there was just something, I don't know, in the moment, that day I realized that if things weren't going to work out according to the plan, they were still going to work out nonetheless. And that I would be very, very happy to be a priest because I felt the calling and the wiring for it. But I'd also be very happy if I wasn't that. My friends, that's a sweet spot to be in. That's a good place to be in in life. It's one of the biggest lessons I've learned in the last decade. One of the biggest lessons I've ever learned in my entire life, actually. To just be at peace with kind of whatever happens. Whatever is going to happen is going to happen. Um, to learn how to play with the hand that you've been dealt in life. Uh, to kind of almost, to put it this way, in a cliche way, just to submit to fate, right? <laughs> God's plan over your life, God's predestined will, or whatever you want to call it, fate, destiny, just to submit to it instead of cutting against the grain. Now, this isn't to say that you can't have plans for your life, that you can't strive after big, lofty goals, right, and have ambition. But I think we all know, we know it intellectually at least, but our hearts are really slow at catching up with this fact that sometimes life does not go according to the plan. Sometimes things don't work out exactly the way that you wanted them to. And I think it's those moments in life that define you the most. Who are you when that loved one unexpectedly dies? Who are you when that bad news about your health comes that you did not anticipate? Who are you when you lose your job? Who are you in the midst of crisis, right? in the midst of unexpected things that happen in life. If you want to know whether you're a wise person or not, reflect on who you are during those moments. Moments when life seems like it's unraveling and everything you envision for yourself is not coming true. Who are you during those moments? As the wise and all-knowing Kenny Rogers once sang, quite eloquently, <laughs> if you're into his music, you got to know when to hold them. And sometimes in life, you got to know when to fold them. My friends, we all know when to hold them. That's the easy part. That's the easy part. The hard part is learning when to let go, when to fold them. When to say that your plans for yourself and your life and your goals, they're kind of finished. But because they're finished, what do you do, right? <laughs> Just because you fold that hand doesn't mean it's going to be the same thing on the next one, right? But oftentimes we just collapse on ourselves during those times. There's an ancient philosopher named Epictetus. You know he's epic because he's got epic in the front part of his name. <laughs> but Epictetus, uh, he once said... Uh, don't hope that life will go according to your own plans, but be content with however life works out for you, for that is the way to true peace. And I think he's so right, right? 
life has a way of interrupting all of our carefully laid um, and meticulously plotted out plans. And again, I don't think the the spirit of it is to let's say you can't have any plans. You just kind of you know are like a um, free spirit <laughs> to the winds, letting life just take you wherever. But there's also a lot of wisdom in learning how to straddle that line. The line for there's this the one side of the line where it's like you 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 make your plans for your life, but you hold on to them very loosely, realizing that if it doesn't work out, everything's still going to be okay, right? Yeah. An ancient Stoic philosophy, which if you didn't know, ancient Stoic philosophy uh, in the ancient world had a lot of influence on early Christianity, on Paul especially, but even the gospel writers. Uh, so it's, that kind of philosophy is something to be listened to. But central, the central tenet of ancient Stoicism was this notion, that there are some things in your life that you can control, but there's also a lot of things in your life you can't control. Learning how to navigate those two sides, that is the path to wisdom. That is the beginning and the end, really, of wisdom. The Stoic folks would say that the true sage, the true wisdom person, wisdom teacher, is somebody who understands those things that they can control and controls them well, plans them well but also knows very clearly those things that they cannot control. And they don't waste any time or anxiety or energy worrying about those things that are beyond control. The problem is, in today's culture, it's usually the things that are beyond our control (laughs) that we worry about the most, that we stay awake at night, anxious over, right? But it's the things that are within our control, like who we are as people and the virtues that we cultivate and the good practices and habits to better ourselves, those things that we can control, like we don't. We make excuses. We blame other people for all of our misery and all of the ways we failed to actualize ourselves. And in reality, it's just us. (laughs) We're the ones to blame because we won't take control, seize control of the things that we really can control. All the while we're wasting all of our time and all of our energy worrying about, troubling over ourselves over these things that we cannot control. The day you die, you're not going to be able to control it. <laughs> Death comes for all of us. There's no controlling that. And you don't know when it's going to happen. So you can either spend the entirety of your life worrying about it, anxious over it, nervously, right, anticipating it, living in fear of it. Or you can cultivate those virtues um, that help you to become fearless in the face of it, to worry more about other things that you can control, like who you are while you're still living. All right? I want this series, this wisdom series, to be kind of more like a the Buddhists have something called secular Buddhism. For this series, at least, we're going to give something kind of like secular Christianity in some ways. It doesn't need to be so religious or spiritual in nature. Because I feel like out of all of the things that our country is lacking today, yes, spirituality is really one of them. But I think wisdom, wisdom is the thing that people strive after the least these days. And it's the thing that we need the most desperately, right? Right. 
But it's interesting even so, reflecting on recording this on a Sunday. I've just done the church thing this morning, and we're getting ready to go into Palm Sunday and Holy Week. It's really interesting to think about these themes of wisdom, what we can control, what we can't, right? Um, what to do, what do we do with ourselves whenever life doesn't work out the way we planned it to work out. There's a lot of that we see in these gospel readings and the liturgies for the next couple of Sundays. Uh, Jesus wrestling with all of these same themes, right? Wrestling with his impending death. What he can control, what he can't control. What he can control is who he is and his genuine message of love and the kingdom come and all of this stuff, the thing that he embodied, right? But what he couldn't control is how the religious leaders would react to his message and who he was as a person. What he couldn't control is how the religious institution would react to him. He couldn't control how the crowds would react to him. He couldn't control how the Roman government, like Pilate, would react to him. All he could control was what he could control was himself. And the genuinity that he just oozed, right? He could preach his message of love, and he anticipated that it would lead him to the cross, but that was not within his control. Uh, and even inter- interesting watching people react to him in the gospel readings these last few weeks, too, where he tells them, right, I'm going to die. I have to suffer. I have to be crucified. It's the way it's going to be. But the people around him, were so worried about the things that they could not control that they could no longer control themselves, right? They're more worried about controlling Christ, controlling his uh, movement of love, right? They, they refused to listen to him whenever he said that he was going to have to suffer and die. They're worried about the thing they could not control. And in the end, they all abandoned him while he was dying. Friends, there's so much wisdom to be understood when it comes to those things that you can control those thing, and those things that you can't. And understanding who you are when things don't go according to plan, uh, that's, if you don't know whether you're a wise person or not, think about who you are during those seasons. All right? And for me, going back to my original story as we close out, what I could control was like uprooting my family, uprooting my life, going to school, going to seminary, sub- submitting myself to the process. What I couldn't control was what the bishop was going to say at the end of it and how people would feel and how the institution would treat me at the end of it. And realizing that that's not relevant <laughs> to the task at hand, how, what other people do or don't do, what you do, that's what matters, right? Everything else in so many ways, is irrelevant. If we can just focus on those things that we should be focusing on and let go of those other things that we cannot control and that we need to let go of, we would be so much happier. My friends, let me tell you from firsthand experience, it really is the path to peace. So lay those plans out, but hold on to them loosely. And when life takes a twist on you, right? Puts you down a different path than what you anticipated. Be happy with it for it's still life. And there's still much to be learned and there's still much to be done with your inner self, right? Yeah. Learning what's within your control and what's not. If that's not the beginning of wisdom, well, it's awfully damn close. <laughs>